All right, 1 Peter 3 in your Bibles. Once you've found that, if you'd stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're so able to do so, that would be great. And we'll be reading responsively beginning in verse 1, and then we'll read every other verse together down to verse number 7. Let's begin with verse 1 together. Everybody find it? 1 Peter is toward the end of the New Testament there, uh, just a couple books away from Revelation. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1, 2, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Here we go. Ready? Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters are ye as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Well, we're in the middle of a sermon series on Sunday mornings entitled Relationship Reset. Last week we looked at the title of How a Christian Ought to Court. talked about Christian Dating. And today we turn our attention to Christian marriage. The title of the message is Principles for Christian Marriage. And it is a shorter sermon than normal, being that the schedule is so full today. But I believe there are some things here in this passage and other passages of Scripture that will be of great help to us. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, thank you for bringing us together at this place and this time. Thank you how our hearts have already been stirred by way of song and testimony. Uh, for the mothers that we have honored, and Lord, for uh, just the Spirit of Christ that's felt in this room. And so, Spirit of God, we pray that you move in our hearts and our midst. May marriages be strengthened. Lord, may our youth be uh, reminded of your model of marriage. And Lord, may we leave here challenged to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One day a little girl is sitting and watching her mother do the dishes at the kitchen sink. She suddenly notices that her mother has several strands of white hair sticking out in contrast to her brunette hair. She looks at her mother and inquisitively asks, Why are some of your hairs white, Mom? Don't you love the candid nature of a child? Her mother replied, Well, every time you do something wrong and make me cry or unhappy, one of my hairs turns white. The little girl thought about this revelation for a while and then asked, Mom, how come all of Grandma's hairs are white? (laughs) Someone once asked, why is Mother's Day before Father's Day? The answer is plain, so that children can spend all their Christmas money on Mom. Amen? Another one here, why don't they have Mother's Day sales? Well, it's simple. Mothers are priceless. You know, what are three words that solve every dad's problem? problems? Ask your mother. Ask your mother. 
But this one's my favorite of all of them here. A little girl asked her mother, how did the human race appear? Mom answered, God made Adam and Eve, and they had children, and so was all mankind made. Two days later, little girl asked her dad the same question. Dad answered, many years ago there were monkeys from which the human race evolved. The confused girl returned to her mom and said, Mom, how is it possible that you told me the human race was created by God? And Dad says, they developed from monkeys. The mother answered, well, dear, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family, and your father told you about his. So this is week two of our series, Relationship Reset. And um, as I speak about the home or Christian marriage, I, I want you to recognize I am speaking about a divine institution. Divine, that word divine means that it's ordained of God. Institution means it's a place for care of dependent persons. The home is a divine institution ordained by God. Even though the home is a divine institution, the home is operating, many homes are operating under humanistic philosophy if they are operating at all As God brought the man and woman together, there are some biblical principles that will keep husbands and wives and homes together. Uh, This is meant to help those who are married this morning. Uh, Many people carry into their marriage strengths and weaknesses from their childhood and repeat the same old mistakes. You may have heard the phrase that hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. Um, Ephesians 5 tells us we're to leave father and mother, we're to cleave unto our own spouse, and they too shall be one flesh. Someone cleverly worded it this way. We're to leave, we're to cleave, and we're to weave. Weave our lives together. And when we hear this idea of leaving, not only are we to geographically move out of mom and dad's house, but we're to leave behind the bad habits that we would have picked up from our parents, and we're not to bring those into marriage. There's a story about a man who was um, uh, an owner of the early Model T car, one of the first models that ever rolled off the assembly line. And as the story goes, his car was broken down on the side of the road, and he uh, had his head in underneath that hood of that early Model T car. Lo and behold, Henry Ford is riding down the road in his car, and pulls in behind this gentleman and gets out of the car and walks up to the man and offers to help the guy. And the guy uh, says to him, no, I have no interest in any help. And he said, are you sure that you don't want any help? And the man said, sir, I know, I doubt you know any more than I do. Have a good day, sir. Get lost. And if we're not careful, the preacher brings the word of God to us and opens up the one who invented marriage and wants to tell us how to do marriage better. If we're not careful, we'll handle these instructions the way that gentleman handled Mr. Ford, who had, had, who had been the inventor of the car. The one who ordained the divine institution is offering us the manual 
to marriage, the manual to marriage. Now, we must be careful to set aside what the humanistic world tells us about marriage. We must be careful to set aside what uh, the, the world and the woman's liberation movement wants to tell us. We must set aside what uh, entertainment culture wants to tell us about marriage and understand it was God who created marriage and it is His Word that should direct and guide our marriages. So with that in mind, let's look at three principles, three principles concerning the Christian marriage. If you received a bulletin on your way in this morning, on the back of that bulletin is a fill-in-the-blank outline. I encourage you to take notes as we go this morning. Notice number one, number one, the principle of respect, the principle of respect. Now, the word respect can be defined this way, considered worthy of esteem, considered worthy of of esteem. In marriage, the husband and wife have a duty and a responsibility and a necessity to esteem one another. We hear much about self-esteem in the culture at large today. This is one of those psychology trends that's been pushed on us. And I have learned in my life that when I'm worried about my own esteem, I become more and more miserable. But when I start focusing on the esteem of others, the esteem of my children, the esteem of my wife, all of a sudden my own esteem seems to take care of itself. So when we talk about respect this morning, we're talking about esteeming others. We're talking about, in context of marriage, esteeming your spouse. Letter A here, notice a wife's respect for her husband. Look down with me at First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 6. The Bible says, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. When a man needs acceptance more than he needs to be respected, you will find a man who compromises conviction and direction from the Word of God. And in turn, what will end up happening is he will lose the respect of the woman who calls him wife. Men, I would say, stand by what's right and sought to be respected based on your convictions, based on your principles, based on what you believe, not based on what's doing popular in the moment in order to, in order to receive the adulation of your spouse or the, uh, avoid the frustration of your spouse. It is necessary for the husbands in the room to stand on biblical principles and to do so with a kind spirit. This will bring about the respect or ought to bring about the respect of a wife. The husband will say, do I go along to get along or do I expect a higher standard out of my spouse and those I lead? And men, we need to be careful to make sure that we have our eyes locked on Jesus Christ and we're following his leadership in our life. We're submissive to God and we're living a life that is respectable, that demands the respect of the woman who calls us wife, or uh, call, who we would call wife, who calls us husband. So it is important that we live respectable. I've said it many times, it bears repeating again, that society at large is seeking to effeminize our men and steal from them their backbone and uh, turn them into pushovers and wimps. And we need men who will stand, not men who are rough and gruff, not men who are unkind and nasty, but men who are uh, godly men, who have a core of values, a ball of steel, 
veil, if you will, but a spirit that is wrapped in velvet, that kindness. And we approach uh, doing right with the right attitude. And uh, men, we need to live a life that's respectable. And women, we, you know, the ladies here today, I would encourage you to seek to respect your husband and follow his leadership in your life. Letter A, we notice a wife's respect for her husband. Notice letter B, the inverse, a husband's respect for his wife. Look down at verse number 7. The Bible says, Likewise, ye wives, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your uh, prayers be not hindered. That word dwell there, dwell at the beginning of verse 7, means to settle down, to settle down, and to do that according to knowledge. A husband doesn't respect his wife who always lowers her standards and compromises. A man respects a woman with high integrity. With high integrity. Now, uh, you may have expected me to tell the men to res- or tell the women to respect your husband no matter what, but instead, the message this morning is men, live your lives in a way that demands honor from your wife. And the inverse is true to the ladies here. Ladies, live your life in such a way that is honorable and demands the respect of your husband. If you look at the Proverbs 31 woman, what you find is that he cannot help but praise her because of the way that she lives her life and the way she handles her business and the way she takes care of her home. And her husband cannot help but rise up and call her a virtuous woman and uh, label her as being a woman whose price is far above rubies. Many women have no respect for men in our society. And today we see the same is true that men have little to no respect for women, And we need to get back to a place within our own marriages where the women live their lives in a way that demands the respect of their husband and the husbands live their life in such a way that demands the respect of their wives. And uh, I see a lot in marriage that uh, we nitpick each other and we know well the faults of each other. I've talked about uh, counseling and having couples come in my office and it's amazing when you do marriage counseling you sit down with a couple and you uh, uh, they're ready to tell you the offenses of the other they know well what the other one is doing wrong i could probably pull any married person to the side right now and i could say to you tell me what your spouse does wrong and probably every one of us in the room could come up with a handful of things we wish would change about our spouse. Now, if you've been married here a long time, maybe you've worked through all those things. But in the younger years of marriage, this is definitely true. What's healthy is to forget looking at your spouse and start looking at the mirror at yourself. Um, I'll sit down with a couple in my office and I'll say to a husband, I'll say, tell me what you think your wife is going to tell me that you do wrong. And they're not ready for that. And I look at the wife, and now she's had a few minutes to prepare. Amen. I give the women a chance to, you know, know what's coming their way. And um, it's a good place to start. It's a good place to start. Let's be honorable. Let's be respectful. And let's live our lives in such a way where it's easy to respect the other. A Christian marriage is built on the principle of respect. Notice number two, the principle of Holy Spirit 
reliance. Holy Spirit reliance. If you would, take your Bibles with me over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 5. Now we know Ephesians 5 as being the chapter of marriage and the uh, way marriage is supposed to work. But uh, most of the folks think that that passage begins or that those truths begin in verse 22 where the Bible begins by telling us that wives are submit to their husbands. But the truth is the passage begins in verse number 18 and really even before that. But let's begin with verse number 18. The Bible says here, it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. But be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you know what alcohol does? It totally changes the character of the person who becomes intoxicated by it. It completely changes that person. And here, verse 18 is laying out for us a parallel. Watch this now. To the degree that alcohol changes the character of a man or a woman to that same degree when we are filled with the Spirit, our character is changed. Now, alcohol takes our character in the wrong direction. The Holy Spirit of God takes it exactly in the opposite direction, which is the right direction. Your marriage is struggling this morning. I would just ask you a question. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Are you walking by the Spirit? Look at verse 21. Ephesians 5, look at verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, who are we submitting to here? Well, the husband is submitting to the Lord. The wife is submitting to the Lord. The wife is submitting to her husband. See verse 22. But the husband is also in areas learning to submit to his wife. Christianity has been given a bad rap in that women who get abused point to the power structure laid out in the Bible and say, see, it doesn't work. And I would say it doesn't work if it's abused, but it absolutely works if you follow the Bible model. What is the Bible model? The Bible model is that God is to be in charge of the home. And the husband is to have a tender heart toward the Lord. And he's to follow the Lord. And he's to lovingly, lovingly, lovingly lead his wife. Not be a tyrannical dictator, but lovingly lead his wife. And that wife is to follow the leadership of her husband as her husband follows the Lord. If you are saved this morning, and when I use that word saved, I mean you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, plus nothing, minus nothing. Your faith is simply in Jesus. There's been a point in time in your life where you've called on the name of Jesus to save you, you, to take away your sin, to rescue you from hell and give you a home in heaven. If you're saved, then the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. Now listen, listen closely here. It is one thing to have the Holy Spirit, and it is another thing to be filled with His power. Now watch this. You got all the Holy Spirit you're going to get the moment you got saved. He came in, He indwelled you, He took a residence in you. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that uh, you have become the temple of the Holy God. He lives inside of you. That is God's dwelling place inside of you. The question isn't how much of the Holy Spirit do, do you have. The question is how much does the Holy Spirit have of you. You see, it's a question of yielding. Yielding. There's that word, that dirty word by our culture today, that word 
submission. You see, for a marriage to work, we must yield. We must submit to the Spirit of God. And when we do that, anger and bitterness and alcoholism and drug abuse and other addictions begin to leave. And what we see is that the, the, the fruits of the Spirit begin to take up and present themselves in our homes. And boy, that just makes the marriage flow. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 16. Galatians 5, and what we get from 16 down through 23 is we get a contrast of two different marriages. We get a contrast, if you will, of a marriage that is conflicted and suffering and not functioning and broken uh, in contrast with a marriage that works and functions and flows and is joyous and is happy. And this morning, if you're married, I want to ask you this question, which set of fruits, we have works of the flesh versus fruits of the spirit, which of these sets defines your uh, current state of marriage? Look at verse 16, the Bible says, this I say then, walk in the spirit, that ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Paul is saying here that these two, the Spirit of God and our flesh, are at constant war, at constant war, and when the flesh wins, the Spirit is subdued, is suppressed, and these fruits cannot be manifested. Well, what then comes forward when the flesh wins? Look at verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery. By the way, you don't have to be in bed with someone who isn't your spouse to commit adultery. Jesus was clear in Matthew 5 that looking upon a woman to lust, you've committed adultery already in your heart. And to the ladies in the room, I would say looking at another man in another marriage and wishing you could have what he represented is adultery in your heart. Uh, now look at, back at verse 18 again, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. Look at this ne- these next few. Wrath. Strife is your home defined by wrath and strife. Seditions, heresies, envyings, that's jealousy, murders, drunkenness, revelings, that's the party lifestyle, and such like of the which I tell you before as I have told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, to be clear, verse 21 is not saying that if you commit these things that you lose your salvation. What it is saying here is that these are earmarks of people who are lost. This is the lifestyle. These are the definers of people who are lost. Look at verse 22. When we yield to the Spirit, when our marriage is being led by the Spirit of God and not by our individual or collective flesh, look at verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, that's tenderness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Boy, I want a marriage that's defined by love and joy. I want to look forward to going home from work. And seeing my wife and my kids. Peace. That calm water. You know, look, we live in a dog-eat-dog world. Everyone understand that? Right? Um, It's rough out there. You want to get thrown under the bus? Go get a job in the corporate world. Boy, people will chew you up and spit you out real fast. I'm blessed to get to work in a church with, with great people. 
But I haven't always worked at a church with great people. I've worked at church with not so great people. Amen. And I've worked at uh, I've worked the secular world too. I've had warehouse jobs and such. Boy, it's a dog eat dog world out there. The last thing you want is to come home from a rough day at work and step step into a rough home life. It's great to come home and have peace, isn't it? How about long suffering? You know what that means? That means you have a long fuse with each other. Not constant the constant yelling and bickering and fighting. That's that strife and envying and 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 uh, and, and of of the such. Um, gentleness, gentleness. There's something to be said about kindness in marriage. Why is it? Why is it that we treat the worst, the people that we love the most? I, I've done it. I think we've all here done it. Boy, some of the nastiest languages, language that comes out of our mouth is aimed at people who we love passionately. That kindness, that goodness, that gentleness. How about the next one there? Faith. Faith. Are you encouraging each other in the faith? You know, I heard someone say one time, marriage is a 50-50 proposition. I bring 50% and they bring 50%. And I have to say, that's some of the worst marital advice you could ever hear. You know what marriage is? It's a 100-100 proposition. There have been times in uh, our marriage where I've been down and discouraged and honestly my faith tank has been near empty where I've just not really been a very good Christian. And my wife has had to come along and be the one to bring the faith in the marriage and just say, hey, we're going to stay faithful. Hey, we're not going to give up. Hey, we're not going to uh, throw in the towel on the fight of the good faith. And hey, we're going to press toward the mark of the, uh, of the calling of the prize in Christ Jesus. And there have been times where my wife's faith has tanked and she's struggled and life's been hard on her. And I've had to gently step up and say, hey, we're going to move forward for the Lord. It's a 100-100 proposition where sometimes you may experience the worst than the other one and you say I'm going to be filled with the Spirit of God and I'm going to rely on Him to lead this marriage through this rough spot. To those of you in the room here today that are single, let me just quickly say here, this is why the principle laid out in 2 Corinthians about being unequally yoked, about not being unequally yoked is so important. Listen up here to me. You, if you marry someone who is lost, then you cannot rely on the Holy Spirit to lead your marriage. You understand that? Well, he just I'm just so compatible with him. Uh, she's just perfect for me. My friend, if you marry someone who is not saved, there's going to come a point where your home is going to hit a fork and you're going to have to choose either to go to church together or to not go to church together. And can I tell you what usually happens is you end up not going to church together. Well, after we get married, I'll, I'll change them. Oh, no, you won't. People make two mistakes going into marriage. The first mistake they make is thinking they can change their spouse. How many of you married people in the room today say, that doesn't work. How many know what I'm talking about? You can't change someone. Amen? Some of you didn't raise your hand. You've been married. See me after church and tell me how you do it. Amen? (laughs) And the truth is only the Lord can change somebody. The other mistake people make going into marriage is thinking that the person they marry is never going to change. The reality is people change. People change. 
We need, we need the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. I love that marriages, we have the unity candle. You all know what the unity candle is, right? They take the two candles and they light it, and, and then they turn and they blow it out. I've seen all kinds of... I had my faux pas up here earlier where I declared Michaela's having a baby and felt bad about that. Uh, but I've seen mistakes made at, at marriages where they go to blow the unity candle out and they blow out that center candle. It's like this marriage is over before it even got started, Amen. <laughs> I've seen other cases where they go to blow out their own candle and it doesn't blow out, like, you know, goes down and comes back up. And um, that, those candles represent individuality. I love it, a, a wedding, though, where you have the, the three cords that are woven together, right? And the Old Testament tells us that a threefold cord is not easily broken. And when we intertwine our marriage with the Holy Spirit of God and His fruits and His leading in our home, what we find is that we have a happy marriage. There's somebody here today, your marriage is struggling and suffering. Maybe you had a fight on your way into church this morning. And I can tell you a good way to cure that, drive to church separately. Amen? That'll cure that problem right away. And, um, and no, but seriously, you may have had a, a bicker or a fight on the way into church this morning. And I would just say to you, if your marriage is not in a good place right now, uh, don't elbow your husband, don't elbow your wife. Look in your heart and ask this question, is the Spirit of God leading our home? Are, are we living by the principle of Holy Spirit reliance? We looked at number one, the principle of respect. Number two, the principle of Holy Spirit reliance. Lastly, number three, notice the principle of biblical roles. The principle of biblical roles. A Christian marriage understands and follows the concept of what biblical roles are. Our greatest weakness is that we know what they are in our head, but we don't follow them in practice. We don't follow them in practice. Um, I could probably take a microphone and go around the room and ask all the married couples in the room, what is the role of the husband and what is the role of the wife? And all of you would know the right answer. But actually putting that into practice and living it looks entirely different. Uh, if you could take your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 2 with me. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 18. Here we find Adam. God had made him. And up to this point, God had declared everything is being good. Verse 18, the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now, the, the, the principle of first mention is so key to understanding the Bible. And I would just challenge all of you in the room here that are new Christians, I would challenge you to study Genesis 1, 2, and 3. If you can get the first three chapters of the Bible down, the doctrines that are laid out in the first three chapters of the Bible, a whole lot of the conflicting worldview that goes on around us will clear itself up. Uh, what's the Bible teach about sexuality? What's the Bible teach about marriage? What's the Bible teach about structure? What's the Bible teach about sin? Uh, all of these things are uh, at, uh, at war uh, in our culture right now, and Christians are confused on what they are supposed to believe in, how they're supposed to handle it. I would encourage you to go back and look at this. What does the Bible tell us about the first woman being made? Uh, it tells us about Eve that God made her to come along and be a 
completion to him. Now, a very important note is that God did not take Eve uh, from Adam's head. Eve was never supposed to be his leader. But listen, men, God did not take Eve from Adam's foot. Women are not to be walked on by men. God took Eve from Adam's side. Because women are to come along and complete the man. Amen? And they're, they're equal, but they complete. They're equal, but they complete. Notice letter A, a godly wife. A godly wife. Look down at verse number 23. The Bible says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She, she, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Listen, ladies, the wife was meant to be a completer, not a competer. The wife was meant to be a completer, not a competer. And I know the proper word is competitor, but uh, excuse my English for the sake of the phrase there. God did not make women to come along and try to compete with the man to run the home. The woman is to come along and complete the man. And by the way, the man is to come along and complete the wife. You've heard the phrase that opposites attract. And I believe that's true, opposites attract. But can I tell you that in marriage, we oftentimes marry someone with similar morals and values that we have. And where that opposite kicks in is in every other area, including personality. We will marry someone with a different personality. You may be here today and be more task-oriented and find that your spouse is more people-oriented. You know what? You complete each other. You may be here today and find yourself to be more outgoing. Someone else may be here and your spouse may be more uh, introverted or more of a, a, a stay-at-home stay type. And you two complete each other. And there's a natural tension in your home that drew you to each other. And while those tensions are exciting and uh, spark curiosity in the dating stage, those uh, opposites can become points of conflict when we get married, understand that God brought you together to complete one another. Ephesians, uh, check your Bibles over with me to Col- uh, Colossians chapter 3. While you're turning to Colossians 3, Ephesians 5 verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, for the sake of, uh, for the sake of uh, uh, those who have not heard me explain this before, uh, let me quickly uh, just uh, offer this explanation Um, You you need to have different roles within a structure in order for it to work. Um, The illustration has been used many times, and and at this point it's cliche, but it it just fits and it works with what I'm trying to say. And to those that are new to the church, this will be uh, revealing to them or rather help them understand. If I were to take a ride out of the parking lot today and I were to go down past Booth Park and I were to see a two-headed dog, I would say that's a monster. That's a monster. Um, You can't have two heads and have something that functions. There needs to be structure. There needs to be order. But if I were to go down past the park and I were to see a dog and it had no head, I would say it was dead. You understand that there needs to be a leader. We together on this? Okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three and one. Three and one, right? Three and one. Okay. Do you know that Jesus submitted to the Father in the Garden of Eden? He said, not my will, but thine be done. Is Jesus any less of God than God the Father is? No. 
But notice that within the Trinity of God, there is a pecking order of leadership, and that is necessary in order for the Trinity to function. And in marriage, God has given us structure within the home where the husband is to lovingly lead while he submits to God and the wife comes under and she follows his leadership. Look at verse 18 of Colossians 3. Again, a replica of Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Godly submission is trusting God to lead you and your family through your husband. Now listen here. Your husband is not always going to be right. Your husband is not always going to be right. Sometimes your husband's going to make a decision in all sincerity and he's going to be wrong. And ladies, sometimes you're going to know that the decision is wrong and it is always appropriate to give your input in a way that's respectful and careful. But at the end of the day, if your husband wants to make that decision after he's listened to your advice, then he needs your support. And when he fails, he needs you there not to wag your finger in his face and say, I told you so, but to help pick him up and move forward. If you can handle him graciously, he will appreciate that. Uh, One more thought here. Manipulation means to control by unfair and insidious means to one own advantage. Now, both men and women know how to manipulate, but I've seen many, many, many people, uh, many women in marriages manipulate their husband uh, through uh, guilt tripping and pushing and, 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 uh, and berating and, and, and other methods, other means to drive their husband to a decision. Sometimes a husband will do what he knows is wrong just to bring peace in a home. And ladies, I would say, don't manipulate your husband's Follow his leadership. Now, notice that the point there is a godly wife, a godly wife. Much of my Christian life, growing up in a Baptist church, a Baptist home, I heard standards preached on a lot. Standards, 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 standards. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And uh, listen, to a point, some of that was necessary. I I was preaching out of Isaiah chapter 3 on Wednesday night. We're going verse by verse through the book of Isaiah. And in chapter 3 of Isaiah, 20 female garments are mentioned. And immodesty of the dress of the um, Israeli women was harped on by Isaiah. And here was the point I made on that topic Wednesday night. I'm going to make the same point here. And I, I made the point that a haughty heart leads to naughty dress. If the heart is right with God, the dress will take care of itself. You don't need me to get up here and tell you what you should and shouldn't wear. You just need me to help you understand. Get your heart right with God. Those exterior things, by and large, take care of themselves. By the way, can I say this? If you're a woman who pushes back on what's been preached so far, I would say to you, you don't need me to stand up here and tell you, do this and don't do this in your marriage. What you need to do is get your heart right with God, and by default, you'll follow God's plan. Be a godly wife. Read your Bible and pray and follow God, and seek to have that meek and quiet spirit that's talked about. That does not mean be that little woman who sits down and shuts up. That means that you are meek, power under control. You're uh, quiet. A soft answer turneth away wrath, Proverbs 15.1 tells us. Be a woman who loves the Lord, and what you'll find is that you have a home that is happy. Let her be, notice, a godly husband. A godly husband. People will point to the Christian model and point to instances where it didn't seem to work. And can I tell you when it doesn't work? It doesn't work when one of the two 
tries to work it, and the other one refuses to work it. For a Christian home to work, both the husband and wife have to buy into doing it God's way. Buy in all the way to doing it God's way. You say, oh, well, we tried that and it didn't work. Yeah, kind of like my child trying broccoli and deciding they didn't like it. Right? You had your mind made up it wasn't going to work for you ever even... My child would have his mind made up that he didn't like broccoli for ever even put it in his mouth. Well, I'm going to give this Christian thing a try. Are you really giving it a try? Husbands, you're called to lead the way. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Be not bitter against them. We need husbands who will decide that they're going to love their wife no matter what. What ends up happening in many homes is that we are reactionary in our treatment of each other. Well, I'll love you if you love me. I'll respect you if you respect me. Hey, husbands, can I just ask you to maybe not be so thin-skinned? Can it start with you? And can you decide that even when your wife has a bad day and maybe doesn't treat you the way you'd like, that you not base your treatment of her on her treatment of you. You just love her anyway. Hey, I've got room for improvement in this area. I can do better in this area. Hey, we need to learn to love in spite of how we're treated. Isn't that what God does for you? Aren't you glad that God doesn't decide how much He loves you based on how you're behaving that day? That'd be ugly, wouldn't it? You say, well... But if I do that, I'm going to get taken advantage of. Um, How much taking advantage of God do you do? Does that stop him? If it works for God, don't you think it should work for us? Husbands, we need men who are godly. Go back to 1 Peter 3 where we began the message. And let's end with verse number 7 this morning. Verse number 7. The Bible says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life. See the unity there, the bond, that your prayers be not hindered. Many women will scoff at that phrase, the weaker vessel. Back in the 90s, there was a commercial, I think it was a Gatorade commercial that came out. Mia Hamm starred in it, and um, the, the popular song, Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better, I Can Do Anything Better Than You. And it was women showing that they could keep up with men. And I would just say that's nonsense. That's foolishness. God did not make men to act like women. He did not make women to act like men. It's a healthy day. It's a happy day when you learn that different doesn't mean less. Different doesn't mean less. You can be made different and still be on equal plane with someone else. I heard a preacher explain that phrase, weaker vessel, this way. He said, men are like 7-Eleven big gulp cups and women are like crystal vases. You, you finish up that big gulp cup uh, and you chuck it over your shoulder into the back seat, probably not going to break. You chuck that crystal vase over your shoulder into the back seat, probably going to go everywhere. Which one would you rather have, the 7-Eleven Big Gulp Cup or the Crystal Vase?
I hear some husbands say, well, I, I just wish my wife would, uh, would, uh, would be a better wife. And I would say, if you want your wife to be a queen, start treating her like a queen. Amen? Maybe if you treated her like a queen, you'd start getting that. If your wife is going to trust God to use you to lead the family, then let me just give you a couple closing thoughts here. Then number one, honor your wife. You say, how do I honor my wife? Cherish her. Cherish her. Hey, do it up big on her birthday. Do it up big for Christmas. Hey, every now and then, just because, take her out to eat. Every now and then, uh, surprise her with something that makes her feel loved. Hey, here's another big one. Communicate with her. And all God's ladies said, Us men don't need much in the realm of communication. Women need a lot more of that than us men usually need. Communicate with your wife. Hey, here's a good, solid piece of advice for all the married couples in the room. For 15 minutes, at some point during your day, have a time where your cell phone is turned off. Your TV is off. The kids are not around. And the two of you talk to each other. Hey, by the way, communication means that you not only talk, but you listen. Ladies, men, it means that you not only listen, but you talk. Okay? Communicate. Communicate. Uh, One more thought here. Pray for your family. You want to be a godly husband, pray for your family. You know what you should pray for? Pray for God's wisdom. It is, uh, it is a difficult world out there. I look at Noah in Genesis 6 and 7 and see how he raised three boys to marry girls who would follow the leadership of those boys and get on that boat, bought into dad's belief system. And I see a dad who prayed for a lot of wisdom. Pray that God gives you leading, to lead in the right way, and then pray that God gives you godly love. We need Christian marriages, homes that live by the principles of respect, Holy Spirit reliance, and godly roles. Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning. We've had a great day today, and I'm I'm thankful for all of you who have taken time to be here in church this morning. And uh, boy, for some of you, your marriages are going great. These reminders just help move the ball down the field a little bit further. You're already putting these things in practice. Other homes, you you may need to hit a major relationship reset button. Can I encourage you to do that? Can I encourage you to get on your knees and pray and ask what God would help you to do better? Maybe you're here today and you're not married yet. Would you pray that God would help you to be a godly man or godly woman? And then begin to pray for your future spouse that God would help them to be exactly who you need. He would give you the patience to wait for that person. Give you the contentment in your heart and your singleness until that person comes along. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, something that was said in the message this morning, the Lord is using in my life and my heart. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Pray for me, Pastor Lejeune. There's something in the message I needed this morning to be reminded of. I see your hands. I'll pray for you. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm going through a very difficult time in my life right now. My heart is hurting. The, the storm of my life is raging strong. And I just need a pastor's prayer. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Pray for me. My, my heart is hurting. Life is tough. 
Lord, I, I pray for those who raise their hand. Many of the situations I know, some I don't. But Lord, no doubt you know every detail of every situation. Comfort those that are hurting, Lord. Give them the wherewithal to have uh, time to pray. Go to the Bible. And Lord, guide them through these difficulties. We pray for marriages today. A strong church is built on strong homes. Strong homes are built on strong marriages. May our marriages be strong. Help us, Lord, today to commit to follow these principles. In Jesus' name.